I just learned about owning the power that I do actually have and being more upfront about the power that I do have and the agency and the responsibility that I do have and living into that. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today is a special episode of the podcast. So it's the 28th episode. Last month, I turned 28. Next month, the podcast is turning one year old. And for this episode, the tables have been turned. Instead of me asking the questions, uh, Lauren Roberts, who was a guest on episode 23 of the podcast, she offered to interview me and ask me some questions for this episode and let the listeners get to know me a little bit better and share a little bit about how I came to start the podcast and to reflect a little bit on the themes of the show of growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. Like, where am I with all of that? (laughs) So thank you to Lauren. Um, I'm really grateful that you did this and um, and thanks for being such a kind and generous uh, conversation partner. This definitely gave me even more empathy for my guests on the show, just knowing how much courage it takes to go into a conversation that's going to be public, not knowing what might be asked, knowing that you're going to be sharing some personal stuff. Um, it was scary for me and I, I, I still was the one who edited this one. So, um, so I had more control than they do. So, so I figured I'd start by, uh, you know, I usually tell you a little bit about the guests that you're going to hear from. I thought I would just share a little bit about myself for those of you who are new to the podcast, or if you've been listening and, and, um, maybe don't know too much about me and my background. Here's a little bit about me. So, like I said, I'm 28 years old. And I've lived in New Jersey my whole life. I grew up in Red Bank with my my mom and my dad and my older sister and three younger siblings, um, a younger brother and two younger sisters. And now I also have two nieces and two nephews. I grew up surrounded by a lot of books and music in particular. Um, we all really love to read and sing and my siblings are all super talented, smart, funny, kind, awesome people, as are my parents. I currently work for the Dodge Poetry Program, and I previously worked for college writing centers as a tutor and also as a copywriter for a digital marketing startup. I've also done some various writing things. Um, I've done some poetry projects with a local arts organization called Arts by the People, And I have an essay in the anthology, Eat, Pray, Love, Made Me Do It, which was published by Riverhead Books in 2016. Um, Some fun facts about me. My first crush was Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Um, I can recite the first page of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone from memory um, since I was like 10 or something. And I'm a cookie monster. My favorite is chocolate chip. I definitely lean on the introverted end of the spectrum, although I do think it's a spectrum and it kind of depends on the time of day and how I'm feeling. Um, I definitely really value my friendships and close friendships and good conversation and sharing cups of tea and long walks with people that I love. I also am super sensitive and I've experienced anxiety and OCD and panic attacks throughout my life and it's something I like to talk about 
on the podcast, and it's something that Lauren and I are going to dive into a bit today. So thank you to Lauren again for holding this space. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or anything you want to share with me, feel free to reach out on Instagram at Perennials Podcast or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Lauren. (laughs) Welcome to your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. It's so good to be here. (laughs) As always. Um, Well, I was so excited when um, you responded that you would like to do this when I suggested it, because I've already shared with you, but um, like my favorite episode that you've put out so far was the one where you were just updating everybody about what was going on with you and talking a little bit more about like just your own story and anxiety and all of that. And in general, I seem to really gravitate toward podcasts where the hosts kind of break away sometimes from interviews and do that kind of thing. Cause I'm always so just nosy and want to know more about them. So yeah, I'm really excited that you wanted to do this. Thank you for, for offering because I'm like you, I like the same thing, but I was so nervous about that episode that you're referencing. And even now, like when I'm scrolling (laughs) through the feed, I have to scroll past it really quickly because as much as I like it, when other people do episodes like that, it was really hard for me to figure out, like, I've always been a big proponent of that whole idea of like, you know, right from your scars, not from your wounds Mm -hmm. and having some distance from things before you share them. But then I also wanted to like keep it real. And like, I don't know, I felt some sort of call to like, to share something from that place, but I was trying to do it in a careful way. And yeah, I definitely had like a a vulnerability hangover. Funny you say that because I had that after my episode came out a couple weeks ago when you posted it. But at the same time, I I don't know if this was your experience, but it can also be super liberating at the same time. Um, Great. Well, I'm glad that was (laughs) part of it, even though it was tough too. It's funny you said the scars, not wounds thing. That's something that comes up a lot for me when I'm kind of discerning what to share and not to share. And I also see some people... um, do a really good job of threading that needle where they share about what's going on, but they're not necessarily getting into the details. Yeah. Um, And I definitely felt that from you that you were real and authentic, but not necessarily like opening yourself up and probably traumatizing yourself more. Um, So yeah, I think it was a good um, modeling of how to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you start every podcast by sharing that, you know, this is perennials is for growing up, growing wise, living a good life, exploring what all of that means. And I guess to start, I'm kind of curious, like where you would locate yourself in that process. Mm. Obviously it's not linear. Um, but I'm just curious because you've shared before that you were almost kind of making this podcast for 22 year old Victoria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd love for you to share more about that. Yeah, so I feel like um, graduating from college was a big transition for me because I think I was always so identified with being a student and I really like, I've always struggled with change and transitions. And so when college ended and it was like, okay, this is the official end of childhood, quote unquote, you know, kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, there's also 
lots of growing up that happens in college. But at least for me, I was privileged enough to be in a bit of a bubble um, in a lot of ways on my campus, like a very quiet campus in a very quiet part of New Jersey. Um, so I, I graduated. I kind of realized like, crap, I never really like pictured myself being an adult, really, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I think as a kid, I thought I, I would have said I want to be a mom and I want to be a writer. And both of those things I kind of like didn't feel anymore. And um, and at the same time, I was also going through a breakup that was really difficult for me because I mean, obviously, you know, I loved my boyfriend and breakups are difficult, but also I was very attached to my college boyfriend and, you know, I, I struggled with attachment as a kid, like very attached to my parents and I had a lot of separation anxiety. So, so breaking up was really hard trying to figure moving back home was really hard because, um, even though. I only went to college an hour away from my parents' house, but I lived on campus all four years. And, you know, I was moving back into a really small home. I was going to be sharing a bedroom. And um, and I was like, how do you find your independence when you're moving back into your childhood home? And, uh. <laughs> you know, like, and I had all this student debt that I had just thought, you know, future Victoria was going to take care of for me with whatever cool job she landed, you know, like, Uh um, so I kind of definitely felt like I was in a quarter life crisis. Um, and as I shared on the, in the conversation with you for the podcast, like at that time I would, you know, if I, if I went out with friends and I drank, I would like black out and had some bad experiences. And so there's just like a lot there. And it definitely felt like a quarter life crisis. And I was like looking for just like anything to hold on to, any like advice and guidance and wisdom. And I felt like so much of it was geared towards like people in a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, someone going through a divorce or someone going through like a major career change or someone struggling with um, motherhood or something like that. And I don't know, I just found it harder to find things that felt really suited to where I was. And, you know, like I, I've read a, I read a book by Richard Rohr called Falling Upwards and I think the subtitle is spirituality for the two halves of life. And he describes the first half of life as like the container building part of your life where you kind of build up your identity and the externals in the container for you. So, you know, your education, job, where you live, your partner, kids, whatever, like all those check checks in the boxes um, and then the second half of life is coming to greater maturation um, and really discovering like what's what about you doesn't change no matter how much the, the container may change. Um, and I was kind of like, but what if you're like in the first half and you're supposed to be building the container, <laughs> but you don't know how? And like, and what if you kind of want to be like bringing some of that wisdom of the second half of life into the first half? Like, how do you do that? So to answer your question about where I am with all of that, (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of where the seeds of the podcast came from. It took me a couple of years to be in a place where I could actually create something out of it. Like where I was um, not so uh, 
I don't know, not so much of a loose cannon or whatever, or that I could actually sit down and figure out what to create. And like the medium for a while, I thought I wanted to do a blog, but that didn't really feel right. I knew I wanted there to be other, I wanted to be learning from other people and I wasn't sure how to do that with a blog. And then I started listening to podcasts, um, probably about a year after I graduated from college when I had a long commute and some of my coworkers were like, you got to start listening to podcasts. And I just loved them. And, um, but it was still a few years before I was like, okay, I'm going to take the plunge. Um, (laughs) so it took a while for me to get to a place where I was out of the woods enough that I could create something out of it. And at this point, I kind of feel like this year in particular, like, or I guess, yeah, I would say like, you know, 27, I just turned 28. Like there definitely has been a shift over time of like becoming a little less self-absorbed, taking things a little less, like taking myself a little less seriously, being able to find a little bit more of a middle ground with things. Like when I was, you know, 24, I just wanted to be able to, I still, even if I was like speaking from like using spiritual vocabulary, I was still like truly seeking perfection and like Mm. still in my heart, like really thinking I can do this perfectly. I just got to, I just got to like talk to the right person who can give me the right roadmap and I can do it perfectly and be okay once I'm perfect. And something has happened where I'm starting to actually kind of get a little bit more like accepting of who I actually am and a little bit stronger in trusting myself and feeling a little bit more okay with myself. So, you know, it's, I'm definitely like, I feel like I'm in an interesting place with all of it. Um, and right now I feel like I'm definitely in an interesting place with learning to really prioritize like my integrity and being, um, doing things that might be uncomfortable and maybe might make other people a little bit uncomfortable. But if I feel like it's, it's the right thing for me to say something or do something, I'm always going to try to be kind, but I want to try to be truly kind, not just pleasing and, um, nice, you know, like the kind thing sometimes is also a little hard and uncomfortable, but I'm really trying to practice that. Uh, Which is like the hardest thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, and I'm glad that you actually kind of circled back to what I was going to bring up, which is when we were speaking the other day, you know, we were talking about struggling with perfectionism. We talked a lot about how, especially girls are socialized to be very pleasing and like this quote unquote nice and like good in terms of what that means to other people, um, which usually means not to ruffle any feathers to keep everybody else comfortable. Um, And meanwhile, like sometimes we are like dying inside because we're not able to be honest about what's going on for us. Or we see something that's wrong and speaking up about it feels like the right thing to do, but it would upset somebody. So we don't. Um, And so you were saying like in the last year, that's kind of started to open up a little bit for you. And I'm curious if there was like a certain moment where you felt yourself break away from 
maybe the old way that you were trying to do things like that tighter grip on wanting an answer, or if it's just been more of a gradual unraveling. I think it's definitely been gradual. I think there have been so many small moments and a lot of it has to do with just over time, like taking note of how I feel when I don't do the thing that I know is right. Like Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel good. Sometimes when I don't want to make other people uncomfortable or, or hold them responsible for something or, and I don't mean that in like a righteous or, you know, um, condescending way, but you know, I shared with you recently that I, I wrote an email to a priest after a really, <laughs> I think, offensive and insensitive homily. Um, mm-hmm. But I, And I did it as respectfully as I could, but I think it was the right thing to say something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my I often tend to over-empathize with people and think like, well, if I received that email, I would be so upset. I wouldn't be able to handle it, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if like the 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 part of you that's saying like, oh, he might not be able to handle it or I don't want to be mean or, you know, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. If that's like actually the culture, like the conditioning just working itself out on you, if that makes sense. Because we're conditioned to keep things comfortable for the people who have the power. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I learned was acknowledging my own power and acknowledging how I feel like I definitely internalized the messages about having to be a very nice, polite, sweet, good, little angel, perfect mm-hmm. girl. And because I am, you know, a small, thin, cisgender, femme-presenting, white, middle-class woman, people just look at me and think and say, oh, you're so nice. I get that too. Before I even say anything. And then, you know, I am nice to people most of the time. Um, But like, I think I, I think I really grew up feeling like I had to hide the fact that I was a human being who also felt anger, sadness, jealousy, who, you know, like gossiped sometimes, who sometimes said mean things like what. And I always had this fear of like, what if someone finds out? Yeah, it's all that shadow stuff we disown. Like, we don't want to look at it because we're told it's bad. Like, what if people find out that I'm not who they think I am? I'm not that nice. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think, like, then learning more about, like, what does white fragility mean and and what, um, like, reading more about the dynamics between, you know, like, white feminists, white women feminists, (laughs) and, you know, like, you know, intersectional. Mm -hmm. And and I, I can't. I'm not an expert by any means, but I definitely identified with the idea of like, I realized, oh, um, because I didn't see myself as having legitimate power, my power gets like distorted and manipulated into emotional power, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like um, in relationships, especially like with my partner, I only saw my power coming from the way that I look, you know, is he attracted Mm -hmm. to me? And so, yeah, I guess I I just learned about owning the power that I do actually have and not falling for the trick that, you know, the patriarchal trick of making me think I don't have any power 
because that's mm-hmm. not true and being more upfront about the power that I do have and the agency and the responsibility that I do yes. have and living into that. Yeah. Um, so Adrienne Marie Brown says that accountability is a type of community. And like, then there's that old Cornell West quote that's like, justice is what love looks like in public. Like accountability mm-hmm. and responsibility aren't mutually exclusive with kindness and love. They're actually the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, we put out this um, podcast yesterday with Citizen Well, where um, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams is talking about that there are different, like there are different kinds of power. So there's institutional power which like you and I are a little bit closer to and have a little bit more of as like white women moving through the world and bodies, you know, that like we're cisgender, all that stuff, all those checkboxes of privilege and like able-bodied, all that. Um, but there's also intrinsic power that everybody is born with. Like everybody has inherent power that you come into this world with. That means that you, like, you can make a choice to be loving. You can make a choice not to do that. Like that's there, there's like that individual power that is different from the power that gets set up in like institutions and systems that we all kind of have to navigate. And looking at any circumstance or situation that you're in and acknowledging, okay, right now in this moment, what power do I have? Mm -hmm. And how am I using it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like going back to what you were talking about where you were trying to find like spiritual practices and really digging into all these different um, wisdom traditions and looking at all these different self-help modalities and authors and speakers and all of that. Like, I think that's kind of a search for the same thing. It's like, but it, but it's on a more individual level. Like you, you knew that the foundation that you were operating on wasn't working for you anymore. And so you were, willing to kind of like move forward in all these different ways and try out different things and try to figure out what's right. And in that process, learn that there isn't a right answer and you just have to keep showing up for it anyway. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. I think I've definitely been learning about accepting that there isn't one right way as much as I want Mm -hmm. there to be. And my brain is always comparing things and searching for the one right answer. Mm -hmm. As much as, again, intellectually, I could be like, I'm all about non-dualism and whatever. (laughs) Um, But like I was still for a long time searching for the one right answer. And I'm kind of, you know, begrudgingly learning like, oh, no. (laughs) And you're never just like done. (laughs) No. And it's so tempting for me to always want to try to find an example of a person that I can just be like, I'm just going to do exactly what they did, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where my body, my relationship with my body has come in too, because it's like my body isn't going to let me do that in every case. Like even when it comes to eating, trying to eat in a healthy way, like a way of eating that's really healthy for one person uh, might not, isn't healthy for someone else. You know, mm-hmm. like some people digest some foods better than others. Like you, there is no, there's no like one way of eating that someone could just tell me, okay, this is exactly how you should eat. Like yeah. you have to, you have to learn about your own body and how it functions. And I resisted that for like such a long time because I was so afraid of 
that responsibility. Um, and again, it's coming back to response, like responsibility. Um, I think it's very funny because I think people have always described me as a responsible person. And like, as a kid, adults were always saying, you're such a little adult. You're such an old soul. You're so responsible. But I actually have a really deep fear of responsibility. Me too. So, <laughs> like if it's, you know, if, if you're, if we're talking about like, um, being responsible for taking really good notes. Yes, I gotcha. But like, if we're talking about deeper responsibility and responsibility just for myself, I'm like terrified. Well, it's like owning the choices that you make, knowing that they could be choices that result in something that's challenging to deal with. And then the responsibility is like dealing with them once you make them. Yeah. That's, it's so funny you say the food thing because I'm, um, like my body has been starting to send signals lately that aren't like huge red flags yet. But I know that if I don't like deeply overhaul how I've been treating my body, like at some point it's going to probably tip into like autoimmune problems on a deeper level or just really bad digestive issues. Um, it's actually manifesting in like things that for vanity's sake, I'm trying to address like my hair and my skin and, Oh, um, Oh, Lauren. If you want to talk about <laughs> hair and skin and changing your diet because of how you feel about your hair and skin, I'm right. Oh my yep. gosh. Yep. Deciding to like try to be healthier was about trying to look better um, so that I could feel okay about myself so I could feel like I still deserved for people to love me. Not even just my mm. boyfriend, but like anyone. Like yeah. that I wouldn't be gross to look at, you know, and unlovable. Mm-hmm. So... Ugh. Yeah. Kind of sad how like it takes that kind of stuff for us to really look at, okay, what's going on with me? And like, I deserve to be okay. Not just so that I look better. Yeah. And I, I think I had this little realization recently that on some level, I realized I have this belief. It wasn't a conscious one, but like deep down a belief or assumption that I deserve to suffer unless I earn feeling good. Yeah. Like I kind of think like, well, yeah, I deserve to suffer because I'm not perfect. So until I punish my, yes. myself into perfection. Or my body, feel, my joints feel inflamed and it's because I'm not doing my PT exercises and I haven't Wait, done yoga and I, I need to start running. I literally have inflamed joints because I wasn't doing my PT exercises. <laughs> yeah. But then I look at, okay, why am I not doing them? It's because I'm exhausted. Yeah. It's like... I have to, I need to probably, I haven't taken a real weekend off. I took one off in April, but I haven't taken like any sort of real vacation time. Even through that breakup in November, I worked straight through it. Um, even with the move back to Indiana and just my whole life (laughs) turning upside down. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm just starting to look at my life like, okay, am I really setting things up for me to be well? Like, do I have the right support systems? Like, cause I just kind of feel like Maybe you say this to yourself too, but like I have to figure it all out on my own. Yep. Yeah, it's very isolating. And that's been a real change for me this year too, which I kind of shared in that um, episode where I was talking about experiencing anxiety um, Mm -hmm. that I did get to a place where I was like, I can't do this all alone. And I've really been trying to. And I think what's ironic is that It took, like, moving out of my parents' house for the first time this past fall. And then even though, like, when I was living there with, you know, 
my parents, my grandma's there most of the time, my three younger siblings. Um, so it's a really full house and, mm-hmm. and I love all of them. And I also really, I'm intro, I'm an introvert. I like alone time. So I was always trying to get alone time and to be alone and to have privacy and all that stuff. And then once I got my own place, like I think I always kind of had this fear in the back of my head that as soon as I actually got alone for more than like a day, I was not going to know what to do with myself. And I was really going to mm-hmm. feel really lonely. Mm-hmm. And I think it took me actually being on my own to be like, I have to seek out social support yeah, more actively now. And I have to like set myself up for social health and yeah and ask for help and things like that because you can't do it all on your own and for some reason I really thought I should be able to yeah I think that's such a lie that all of us get fed and it's it, there's also that myth about like you're not ready for a relationship until you're like yeah whole and healed oh and perfect gosh. and like that's especially for like my OCD thought train that was yeah. a big hook for a long time um, it's been a long time since I've read the highly sensitive person, but I remember her talking about like finding that balance between being like quote unquote out and like pushing yourself to kind of be interactive and like experiencing all the different, um, like sensations and feedback that you get through all your senses and then respecting when you need to be in, but not being too in and like isolated. So I'm curious, like if, you is that something like you're still kind of discerning for yourself like what is a healthy balance between being out and in when it comes to managing your sensitivity definitely I think that's something that I have been learning about really actively for the past couple of months especially Mm -hmm. since I moved into my own place and I think I realized I need to be thinking about what do I want to be doing with my time not in like a oh, you have to be producing something all the time. You have to be earning, you know, something all Mm -hmm. the time. But like what would feel meaningful for me to do right now when I'm alone? Um, And what would feel good for me to do right Mm -hmm. now? And like some of that is like doing the podcast, like having a project that's my own that feels, that makes me feel really good and that I really enjoy and that I get into like a real flow state with, you know, whether Mm -hmm. I'm, researching or having a conversation or editing um and um I've found like if I don't have anything planned for the weekend like if I just stay completely alone in the house all weekend or not even in the house but just if I'm just like alone all weekend like I don't feel very good by the end of the day on Mm -hmm. Sunday it's funny because like I said I definitely identify as introverted but I've realized like I, I need to I need to have um I need to have time with other people that feels really nourishing. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be all day. Like I have a housemate and a you know, a roommate. So I think it was this past weekend. Like I made plans to have dinner with my housemate Saturday night. So it was like, you know, during the day I'm gonna have lots of alone time and but I know that I'm going to check in and have a human conversation, you know, (laughs) face to face with someone and 
we're going to get tacos and we're going to get ice cream and I'm going to connect with someone and I'm going to feel, you know, that'll bring me out of my own head a little bit. And, (laughs) and I think like learning also to bring myself out of my own head through like exercise and yoga, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, like movement, um, getting into your body. Yeah, exactly. And, and even like, even like making, like finding things to laugh about when I'm alone, like Mm -hmm. making myself laugh or just like if I find something really funny, like remembering like, yeah, I can laugh out loud or I can, you know, like um, being lighthearted with myself because I definitely just have a tendency to like be really, really, I wake up in the morning and I don't know about you, but like from the second I open my eyes, I have like 5,000 thoughts running through my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, What's helped me with that is – a couple weeks ago, I started the meditation training and I'm now like a two times a day meditator. And it's been way simpler than I thought it would be to integrate. Um, but now I like in a perfect world, not every day, but I keep my phone on airplane mode until I've meditated in the morning. And that's actually helped a lot because it helps me like claim that space for myself before I start, you know, literally and figuratively downloading what's going on with the world and what everybody else needs from me. And I mean, I'm 21 days into it, so I don't have a lot of evidence yet, but the idea is that eventually it'll help me start to just not just prioritize my self-care and like my own sort of mental hygiene, but also prioritize like what I really want to be creating in the world. Things like that are going to put me in that same flow state you're talking about, like with the podcast. Um, So I don't know. That's that's one thing that I found helpful. But I do have that moment where I wake up and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm still me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I took a, a workshop on centering prayer, which is like a Christian contemplative um, mm-hmm. practice, just because I watched a documentary about this monk, Thomas Merton, no, not Thomas Merton, Thomas Keating, who mm-hmm. was one of the monks who developed this practice. I saw that there was going to be a workshop like 10 minutes from my house that was free, uh, I think in like January or February. So oh, wow. I was like, all right, I'm going to go. And so I was doing that for a while and it's like 20 minutes twice a day. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think just my like Catholic baggage, like, I don't know. I just, started, <laughs> I was going to like a group um, once a week and I loved sitting in silence with people, but then they started doing um, Lexio Divina afterwards, afterwards, which is scripture, um, like scripture, uh, it's not study because it's not supposed to be analyzing it, but like brief reflections on scripture passages. And it was just bringing up a lot of, I was already really anxious, but it was bringing up a lot of anxiety in me about mm-hmm. like, you know, who's like judgment and sin and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so then even when I would sit down just to do the silent practice, I was just starting to get like there was just this like baggage so Mm -hmm. I've kind of been practicing lately like um being like okay that's that's a sticking point for me at the moment but that's okay there are other things I can Mm -hmm. do you know um and so like that's been a lesson is like I I was just I just recorded a conversation last night and I was saying to Cindy that I have you know often been like I'm going to shove my square peg into this round hole if it kills me you know <laughs> like I have to do it this certain way 
Mm-hmm. And recently I kind of just like took my foot off of the gas and was like, I can make a puzzle. But it sounds like you're taking a more feminine approach to it. Like just feeling out what is right for you day to day instead of like that more masculine, like must do X practice at X time this specific yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. I like that you brought that up because I do think that with spirituality, it, it's always bothered me that like the Buddha left his wife and infant baby to become the mm. Buddha. Mm-hmm. And like Thomas Merton, who was a monk, like apparently got like decided to become a monk after he got someone pregnant. Mm. And it's always like bugged the crap out of me that. Like, what if those women wanted to become enlightened or wanted to devote their lives to God? Mm-hmm. They didn't have that option. You know, like if they were going to take care of the baby that this dude, you know, helped Left to them with. <laughs> yeah. I, um, when I was like seven or eight, I remember asking my mom if I could be a priest when I grew up. And she had to explain to me that she said only mm-hmm. boys can be priests. And that was sort of my first feminist awakening of life. <laughs> wait a minute, that's not fair. You know, I was born in like the late eighties and like into the nineties is when everyone was like, Oh, you know, everything's equal now. We've, we've solved (laughs) sexism and racism and all that. I was like, but that's not fair. (laughs) Yeah. I think I had the same like conversation and, and this might sound like a tangent, but I think what I'm trying to get at is like, I will hold myself to these standards. And then when I like, when I hear about, you know, I'll hold these standards to like, oh, this this Buddhist, this Zen monk who can sit there meditating silently for like six hours a day. And then I hear that he like has sexually abused women. And I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? A lot of <laughs> yoga teachers too. A lot of famous Yeah, yoga it's like, you know yeah. what? My worth isn't like, I will judge myself so harshly for not being able to be like that disciplined in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Or think like, well, if I can't reach that pinnacle of perfection, I just must not be a very spiritual person or enlightened person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I do hope to to, uh, lean into more of like a silent practice of of some kind. And I do want to like practice that. But um, I'm being a lot more gentle with myself about like and more expansive about how I define um, what is contemplative, what is meditative, what is centering um and like not putting people up on these pedestals or comparing myself to people who you know are not perfect either um Mm -hmm. and I and I think like there's totally there is totally a role for discipline in our lives and structure and like you know doing things like you might not always feel like doing certain things but you know you'll feel better if you do and Mm -hmm. like this is just purely like for me at like at on this day at this moment in time Mm -hmm. like because of whatever hang up I've been having with that um like it's been helpful for me to kind of I I think of it as like sometimes when you're so focused on something you can't do it because and I don't mean meditation itself like I don't mean the act of meditating but I mean the amount of pressure I was putting on myself to do yes Like, it was like, okay, let me shift this a little bit. Because I think if I keep just pushing and pushing and pushing, like, I was just getting more and more anxious. Um, Yeah. So, like, perfectionism is coming up. Yeah. And, um, like, there are certain moments, I think, where it's okay to be like, all right, 
cut yourself a break, you know, mm-hmm. and let's try taking a different route for now. Yeah. You're just listening to yourself and like filtering things through your own inner wisdom versus just kind of doing it to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think like a big thing has been noticing things and truly not attaching a story to them right away. Because mm. I think especially when you're in the throes of really bad anxiety, mindful mindfulness can be like hellish because you're like, mm-hmm. I'm already noticing every single little thing that's happening in my body and in my environment. And mm-hmm. um, but the issue is that you're instantly before you even realize it, making up a story and probably a scary one about mm-hmm. it. And so the trick has been like really practicing breathing and pulling myself back down to a more realistic place of like, okay, I've noticed this. I don't have to immediately assume it means something terrible. Um, But that's taken like a lot of practice. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And something I noticed in um, the poems that you shared with me, which I should say, I know nothing about poetry. To me, they were beautiful. Um, (laughs) But again, I don't know anything, but I like, and I really enjoyed reading them as somebody who usually like, I'll take in poetry and be like, okay. Yeah. So, Um, but it, tell me if I'm wrong, but the feeling I got was that you were kind of channeling some of these more challenging emotions, anxiety, frustration, whatever, into like your creative expression, kind of like the way it sounds like you do with the podcast too. Like, has that been helpful to kind of find a different channel for whatever, whatever's coming up? Yeah. And I think, um, it's funny because I, I took a poetry workshop in college, like my junior year, and I had a really awesome professor named Patrick Phillips. I think he's at Stanford now who, really helped me to see how like fun and playful you could be with poetry even when writing about something difficult like he just had Mm. such a he's just such a positive friendly guy like not what I I pictured a very solemn like poetry like the Mm-hmm. person so guys really solemn and <laughs> yeah and he's a very like smart person too he's super intelligent but he's also just like he has fun with it he's funny and I knew I wanted to keep writing and so I just made it into like I would just kind of create little like almost games or puzzles for myself with writing poems and then and then yeah I would just um like so when I was 22 and like going through a breakup and all of that like all of my poems would be about for the most part like like breakup you know love poems all that stuff Mm -hmm. um and it's been interesting to write about like I think like I you know I've been with my boyfriend for the past like four and a half years and your relationship's not gonna give that that same like fodder for all of your poetry when you're like in a healthy loving relationship like (laughs) (laughs) I've written poems about that too but it's been interesting to explore different subjects I used to feel like I struggled to like I wanted to write about anxiety and like how I felt in those ways but I I it just didn't like happen um and for what for a long stretch there I just wasn't like over the past few months I like wasn't writing very much at all I felt really disconnected from 
creativity. But that's like where you have to find that balance of going out and going in as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of like what you mentioned with like the highly sensitive person. So if I'm like not writing a lot, it's probably because I'm not really engaging outwardly with the world all that much actually Mm, like mm -hmm. you have to be interacting with the world and like reading other people's poetry or even just just reading other people's ideas listening to other people being curious about the world taking stuff in to then kind of like chew on and digest you know Mm -hmm. um and turn into something else oh that's a really gross metaphor um i mean i basically just call poetry poop (laughs) <laughs> well or it's like yeah I mean I hear people say fertilizer. the word digest to me like yeah. thank you <laughs> yeah fertilizer that's what because I've, I've definitely heard people say before like the best writers the best speakers are really intense readers yeah so it's like yeah. if you're not yeah like feeding yourself words how can you come up with them yeah and when you're really anxious and you become I, you said it in our conversation like anxiety is a very kind of self-absorbed state, mm-hmm. I should say, um, mm-hmm. which I and that's totally, not a judgmental. No, you know, it's, yeah, it's a it's a state. It's not who you are. But when you're right. in that state, it's really hard. Like you're inherently, it's like an obsessive kind of state, and um, or at le- at the very least, you're you're highly sensitive to threat, and you're just trying to stay alive. So like you're mm-hmm. not, you know. Um, it's hard. Like I just heard, um, Esther Perel on, on being. Oh, I listened to that too. Did you? Yeah. I love that her. Was, that was so great. And she, like, as you heard in, in that interview, she talked about, you know, um, trauma and how mm-hmm. if someone is constantly in like survival mode, like you can't take risks and you can't play. Mm-mm. And I think writing, even when you're writing about something difficult, there's an element of like risk taking and play at work because Mm -hmm. at least for me, I think it's a lot more enjoyable that way. Um, So like the most recent poem I wrote was I I took a, I donated at some point to the Redwood um, Forest League, like the Mm -hmm. organization to save the Redwoods. And so I get these emails. I got an email from them like saying like, take our quiz to find out what Redwood animal you are. And so I took the quiz and my result was Mm -hmm. the spotted owl. And so Mm -hmm. I decided to read more about the spotted owl. And I was like, I'm going to try to write a poem. Like I'm going to read and like take notes um, from my reading about learning about the spotted owl. And then I'm just going to see what like comes to me if I, if I can write anything. And as I was reading about it, I was probably projecting onto it because I had already decided this in my head. (laughs) I started to go like, yeah, I do. I am a spotted owl. And so I wrote a poem and I ended up really liking that poem. Um, and then going like, okay, because I, I often get into these places where I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to write anything that I like ever again. Like, I've only written mm-hmm. good stuff like three years ago. And that's also a trend I've noticed with myself that I think is also related to like depression and anxiety is like, yeah, everything was better in the past. Everything's going to suck in the future. I'm not okay. Yeah. That's um, some brain chemistry happening. For yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and I also, I've heard literally every writer I've ever heard in an interview or, like, friends of mine who also write, they say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing I ever read again will be good. And Yeah, because I think that's, it kind of functions the way anxiety does. It's a part of ourselves that is, like, maybe louder than is healthy and sustainable, trying to keep us, like, safe. But safe doesn't equal creative. Safe doesn't equal growing. So... It's like, 
if you're telling yourself that nothing you ever write again will be good, then you don't have to, you know, go through the vulnerable process and like the playful process and kind of letting go of that control yeah. in order to create. Yeah. And I started to really frame things as like, what am I trying to keep myself safe for if I don't yeah. write and I don't want to travel and I don't want to go on hikes and I don't want to try new food and I don't want to go out with friends? What the fuck am I keeping yeah. myself safe for? Like, what is life about? Yeah. <laughs> like, I really mm-hmm. and that I I really use that to push myself um, in certain moments. Uh to do things that I didn't want to do because I was just like, but then what? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. Like you'll sit at home and eat the same safe food mm-hmm. and take a shower and sit around some more. Yeah. And, yeah. And actually you're really inspiring me because the fact that you took time to learn about the spotted owl and then write this poem, which by the way, I really enjoyed. <laughs> um, and I do, and I don't think you were projecting. I think it's a very apt, <laughs> you know, comparison. The quiz um, said so. The quiz said so. And yeah. Um, but like the fact that you felt that that was worth spending time on because you felt like doing it and it would be fun and you might learn something in the process. I love that. Cause I tend to get stuck lately, especially with the work I do that like, well, if I'm not doing something that's either like making me a better human or making the world better or whatever, then it's not worth doing. And I think that's my own kind of depression, anxiety, brain chemicals doing their thing. Um, and so I have to like remind myself, okay, what's fun? Like what's something I can do that's just, just for the sake of doing it because it might feel good. Like that's okay yeah. to do. And you know what yeah. I, 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 I struggle with that all the time too. Like that was part of my quarter life crisis was I, I was just suddenly like nothing matters. Like what's the point of anything? Everything's corrupt. Everything sucks. Like what's the, like, <laughs> what's the point of anything? Like, a, you know, the existential thing. But I, I also, I started thinking of it in terms of like, okay. And I know that you, you have a very strong bent towards social justice and, um, that's part of your work and your life. And so I started to think to myself, what would I want for people who are suffering right now? Yes. What would I want for them? Yeah, I want freedom, them to be able enjoy. Yeah. Like when I picture someone that I've seen who's suffering and I picture like, what would, what would it look like for them to be like full of life and happy? It wouldn't look like Oh, they're producing a lot. Like, no, I'm picturing them like sitting around a table with people that they love or painting or singing or dancing or, you know, playing soccer or like just doing things that they love, being fully embodied and Mm -hmm. being surrounded by love. You know, like I'm not, what do I wish for others? I wish for them to have those things so I can allow that for myself as well, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's not a choice between the two either. Like when I get in my head, it's like, I can do all that. And I can be somebody who is also (laughs) experiencing love and freedom. And that's part of why, you know, being someone who works remotely, I really have to be intentional. Like you were talking about, about going out and spending time with people, but also being intentional about who I collaborate with. Cause I want to like the people I'm spending time doing that work with. I think that's what ultimately sustains any of it. Like if we're not 
connecting in community, if it's not relational, then it's just everyone burns out and ends up hating each other. And then we're no good to anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of goes in hand with that idea of like, oh, I deserve suffering unless I earn, you know, yeah. unless I earn the right to feel good. Um, just like this punishing mentality and this kind of yeah. that perfectionist mentality and certainly like women get a lot of messages about being perfect and being everything and um, and then some of it I feel like is just like being not being connected to other people or to a community in a really nourishing mm-hmm. way like just mm-hmm. feeling disconnected and isolated um, can can just really like worsen those feelings of not being good enough. Yeah. Cause there's no one there to remind you. Yep. And like reflect back to you and you're not, you're not seeing, Oh yeah. Other people are struggling too in these same ways. Yeah. It, I mean, I think that's part of why podcasts are so popular because it's this very intimate way of hearing what's going on with somebody. Obviously not every podcast gets into this stuff, but the ones I gravitate to, yeah. um, like it, it's just helpful to be reminded that we're not alone. Like when I was newly sober more than a year ago, I spent hours and hours and hours just listening to recovery podcasts and hearing people tell their stories. And I remember it helping so much. And like, that's why I, it's why meetings are helpful. And, um, I just wish that that were a, a space that was more common outside of people who have like had such turmoil that they have to go get that help. Um, so that's why I'm really grateful to you for like creating this podcast. And it sounds like it's also like helping you break out of isolation. And it's like, you mentioned that you feel like you're in that flow state when you're creating it. So it sounds like, you know, that's something kind of being channeled through you. It's like the world really needs it and you are the right person to be bringing it through. Thank you. I mean, I think it also is helping me to let myself be seen yeah. Like I just recently started posting on Instagram, like the perennials Instagram more, like in stories. Yes, and, just and I love them. That I think is <laughs> that I think is funny, but like I don't know if anyone else other people might be looking at this and just being like this is really weird. Um No, I laughed out loud alone <laughs> in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I just but because it's like I realized I'm it's not like I'm not on social media. I'm just not posting and I and I might have said to myself again like being more extreme in my earlier 20s and thinking oh I have to be like a monk you know like who doesn't have an ego and so like like this idea of somehow being above it or better than it or an exception or trying to be um in different ways you know and mm-hmm. social media is just an example of like yeah you can become too consumed by it but also like doing the podcast and sharing it is like saying there's something valuable there and mm-hmm. um and then just like letting being speak literally using my voice <laughs> um mm-hmm. and just letting myself be seen and letting different aspects of myself be seen that I might have kept kind of hidden or just like not really shared with people out of self-consciousness and in some ways it's like having less of an ego um to to let myself be seen and just be like and if someone doesn't like it that's fine and if someone does cool then Mm -hmm. we just connected you know um and 
So I think through the podcast, like I've been connecting to people more. I've been challenging myself to to just learn more about myself and be myself and um and be seen and like heard and you know there's a part of me that still is like oh that sounds so egotistical um but no but it it actually helps me to become more uh, to become a stronger person to become a more responsible and accountable person to others and and to like lighten up a little bit more yeah it's like what you were saying just at the beginning of this conversation like kind of loosening your grip and just bringing this expansiveness this like sense of play to everything you're doing um because I definitely get stuck in taking myself super seriously and I post a lot in stories but if I put something on my feed it's usually like very capital s serious <laughs> or like something horrible is happening and I'm trying to bring attention to it or whatever and um yeah I had a, a moment a few months ago where I realized like I don't really take pictures of myself or ever have anybody take pictures of me like what's that really about is it that I I'm trying to be unattached from the way I look or is it that I'm hiding? <laughs> like, yeah. is, am I, am I playing small because I'm afraid of what will happen if I am seen? Um, and in our last conversation, you were talking about how, you know, at this point you would rather have the freedom and whatever that comes with than not experience it. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely at that tipping point too, just with, in a lot of different areas of my life. And, um, I don't know. Maybe that's just how all of it's going to be, though. I don't know. I guess maybe this is just what adults do yeah. over well, and over and over. And I think, like, again, thinking about things shifting in the past, like, year or so, I think I got a massage for the first time in my life a couple months ago or, like, two months ago. And some of that was, like, I wouldn't have gotten one before because I this would not have been a conscious thought. But... I thought it would somehow be bad or wrong to be naked in front of someone mm. giving me a massage, mm-hmm. even though I'm not, you know, I'm under a sheet or whatever. But yeah, just to <laughs> you're like, not like completely nude. <laughs> yeah, but like to be and to have them touch me, like mm-hmm. I've realized the extent to which I haven't felt like my body is mine yeah. and it belongs to me. And I think I've always thought it belonged to my parents or it belongs to my boyfriend or I owe something to this guy and like how about it belongs to me (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and like um on Saturday night when I went out to get dinner with my friend I was like I'm gonna put on a cute outfit and put on a little bit of lipstick which I never wear not because my boyfriend's here or I'm trying to impress a guy or whatever, but literally just cause I feel like that tonight yeah. and like I can do that. And, and I, I just didn't realize the extent to which, um, I think, I think like those feelings of my body not belonging to me got worse after some of those experiences I had at 22, you know, yeah. 23. Um, I, I feel like before that I would have, you know, put on makeup and a cute outfit just to go out with my friends. And it was more like after that, that it's almost like I was repenting, um, Mm. for things that had happened and, uh, and just so afraid of something bad happening around or through or with my body and, and, um, 
just had didn't realize the extent to which I didn't feel like I belonged to myself what was interesting was that same night that I decided to like put on a little lipstick and go have dinner with my friend I came back to my apartment um and it was pretty early it was like nine o'clock and I was like it was a Saturday night and I was like yep time to take off the makeup brush my teeth get into a big t-shirt and like <laughs> um feels good and my boyfriend Martin who's um in Montana uh for the summer called me up and we were talking and he was like yeah everyone else is at this like county fair but I don't think I'm gonna go tonight but it sounded to me like he could really use that like connecting with people Uh. um and so I was like you should go and he was like really because also that meant we were gonna have to hang up and I wouldn't have him to talk to anymore like Uh and I tend to be to want to keep him close, you know, and like, uh, there's been a lot of learning around like spending so much time apart, but um, yeah. encouraging him to go out and go hang with these people that like, I have no idea who he's with or what he's doing. And he's not coming home to me at the end of the night. And that's, you know, like I have a lot of anxiety and I have had relationship anxiety and trust, you know, like I struggle mm-hmm. with trust and things like that. But I was like, if I want to believe that I have the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to put on this lipstick and go out with my friend and then, you know, whatever, and like seek connection and also belong to myself, like then I want that freedom for him too. And it has to go both ways. And I, I don't want to just like allow it. Like I want to encourage it in him, no matter how like uncomfortable that may feel for me sometimes. Um, Uh So... It's not always easy, but like, you know, I helped him with his applications to get the job in Montana and like, I didn't want him to go, but I also knew that there was going to be an opportunity for both of us to like really grow if I did that. And, um, I'm trying, you know, I'm not perfect at it by, by any means. Um, if anyone ever wants to talk about jealousy issues, uh, I mean, I could for a very right. It could be a whole other freaking podcast. Yeah. So I don't want to give anyone the wrong impression, but rather just to say that it is possible, um, especially if your partner, you know, if you have like a basically loving, healthy relationship, um, it is possible to be like, okay, maybe there can actually be a little more freedom within mm-hmm. within the realm of this relationship so that was a really long answer to a question no. I don't even remember anymore so I don't remember the answer or the question either <laughs> but um what you're saying about um jealousy issues I also feel like the any kind of issues that we might be carrying around alone tend to come up in healthy relationships at least that's been my experience mm-hmm. um where yeah like I definitely had jealousy issues even in partnerships that were very safe and loving yeah, but it sounds like you guys are in a like solid, loving, respectful. And even and even when I say that, it's not like we haven't had our like difficulties or times when like there was a time once when, you know, we had a fight about something and I remember my Aunt Cheryl being like, This is a basically good person who's trying his best. Yeah. And I think this actually links back to kind of some of the like white fragility power stuff actually because I've realized in my own not just with him in my previous relationship too and in talking with some of my friends 
that I think when women don't feel like we have a lot of power, we can yield emotional power in a pretty brutal way sometimes. Yeah. And so it's and like it's, all we've got. Yeah. And, and kind of forget like that men have feelings too. And like how much we can hurt them. <laughs> and they don't even, this is really generalizing, but like they typically aren't conditioned to have the same like tools um yeah like the same language for dealing with it so sometimes we can like really hurt them and then they don't even know like where to go with it or what to do with it I don't mean to sound condescending but like they haven't been encouraged to talk about their feelings as much um other guys don't know necessarily how to talk about it so like they can be really alone with that and sometimes my reaction would be so over the top and like I would end up hurting him you know in my reaction yeah I, I have to watch like being critical and and like not and like allowing him to be human <laughs> and yeah. just because I'm sensitive it doesn't mean that if he makes a mistake like that that gives me the right to be really really hard on him about it yeah because I think that's where like the idea of justice gets sort of distorted mm-hmm. and like I'm not somebody who like I don't believe that people should be in prison for the most part like I just but at the same time this, I'm a sexual assault survivor so, and I understand like the need for some sort of accountability when someone does something harmful so but it's not like either or it's not all or nothing it's really hard yeah I mean that's I think it always comes down to like the self-trust piece yeah like in any given moment, no matter how how upset you are at a given situation, I think we have the possibility of tapping into the part of us that is like, okay, I, I think I know what's going on here. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a matter of like really, really thinking about like, okay, worst case scenario what like what is the outcome that I fear the most and like for me it always whittles down to like I'm just not lovable yeah like I'm just not enough I'm not enough Mm -hmm. I'm not lovable and it's not like that's not really about him you know (laughs) um because it could be I could feel that with anyone like there are always going to be our particular things but like if I'm responding from a place of like fearing or believing that I'm not enough and I'm not okay and I'm not lovable then then yeah I'm gonna react really strongly because my (laughs) my soul is like hanging in the balance and um yeah so I think that was partially why I knew that him taking a job where he would be away for six months um that there would actually be opportunity to like really get to know myself better and and I don't know that I would have started the podcast otherwise because wow, um, yeah. I remember, so I've talked before on the podcast about going to spiritual direction with a woman um, at a Jesuit retreat center. And I remember talking to her before, like shortly before Martin was going to leave. And she was like, don't just like stay busy while he's gone. Don't just distract yourself. Mm. like think about what you really want to do with that time and what you really want to cultivate 
And I was so happy she said that because I can't tell you how many people told me to keep myself busy and distracted while he's gone. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is the time to, uh, and I was going to be, I was house sitting all summer. Um, so I, I had the space and the privacy and the time to start the podcast. So, um, you know, in March when he told me that he was accepting the job, I cried my eyes out for like two to three days. Like I went yeah. to work and my face was so swollen that like, Luckily, it was a really quiet day in the office. Um, <laughs> and like the two coworkers I'm closest with were there and they were just like, took one look at me and were like, we're going to take you out to lunch. Um, <laughs> it was so like, to me, just with those attachment issues and all like the idea of him just being gone for six months and not knowing like what that was going to do to our relationship or to me was so, it made me so sad and so scared. Um, but then cut to like July and I was recording the first episode of the podcast, you know? Well, I don't even know if that's about, I mean, you mentioned attachment issues, but I actually, that to me, that sounds like healthy attachment. Like it's somebody you care about. Unhealthy might've been, you cried and cried and cried and then talked him into not going, you know, it was like you felt it, but I've yeah. been working through that stuff and trying really trying so hard. I mean, he's offered me a lot of love and generosity and I just really want to do the same um and also I really want for myself to be free you mm -hmm. know like I want to offer that to him but I also really want to be free and I want to break patterns and habits I I I don't um it's the type of thing that it does not get better with time unless you actively like you know work on it so yeah it's a practice yeah. I mean, it, it just like with like bigger issues, there's all these things like our, I think it's Lila Watson who said, um, our liberation is bound in yeah. each other's. Yeah. Um, I think that's true interpersonally. I think it's true collectively. You know, there's also the saying about the person guarding the jail is also a prisoner. Um, mm. and like that's definitely been my experience in, friendships or partnerships for like any time we're attached to somebody staying the same or not growing themselves like then we can't grow yep and yeah. sometimes that's why you know like not wanting yeah. them to grow is because I don't want to have to you know because like if you yeah there's a um there's a book I read a few years ago called the dance of anger um by mm, Harriet I've heard of that I forget her last name Harriet like learner or something um and she talks about just like every relationship is a dance and if one person changes their moves, the other person has to respond yes. accordingly. And you can't change a person. You can't um, make them do something or not do something. But if you change your approach, they're, they're going to have to, the dance is going to change. Um, yes. And I think about that a lot. And it is a really interesting book because kind of like I said, the way that um, sometimes I feel like for women, when we have this distortion of power and like can, it can come out as anger. Um, and I definitely have experienced that like. Oh, um, me too. And so that book, it was really interesting to read about. Oh, I'm not the only angry woman, like secretly, ragingly mm -hmm. angry woman out there. <laughs> like, Yeah. And um, rage can be sacred depending mm -hmm. on what we do with it. Right. Yeah. 
And I think for me, the anger has really pointed me towards the parts of myself that aren't getting attention, that I'm yes. not attending to. Yes. And that I feel that I'm not, again, taking responsibility for. Because often the anger is kind of coming out as like a, you're not doing this. And the other person is like, um, I didn't even know you wanted that. Or, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you didn't communicate that. Or that's not my job, kind of. Like wh- when it comes yeah. to certain things, I, I, I can tell the difference between that kind of like righteous anger, like that mm-hmm. something is not right and we need to fix it. And the anger that's coming from my eight-year-old self. Yeah. Why aren't you doing what I want? Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> why often are you making like, me comfortable? I'm often so angry because I know, I know it's this deeper thing of like, I am not asking for what I need or I am not, you know, I haven't communicated what I need because I feel like I, I don't deserve that or, you know, um, or whatever. And now I'm just so angry that, and I'm not, I'm not using my voice. I'm not letting myself be seen. And I'm just so angry now. Um, I wanted to ask you what you asked me and what you ask all of your guests at the end of um, other episodes, which is like, what's something that you are, I feel like all we did this conversation was talking about what you're learning (laughs) about, but is there anything in particular that you'd want to share that you are learning about digging into right now? Yeah, it's funny. I like purposefully didn't let myself think about it ahead of time because pretty much every guest has been surprised by that question. So like mm. I didn't really let myself like consider it. Um, hmm. For like right now in this moment, like, you know, if you asked me an hour ago or tomorrow or next week, it would be different. But mm-hmm. right now in this moment, I'm going to say that the piece around being seen and Mm. letting myself be a human like a full human and not feel like it's egotistical or self-indulgent and not being so hidden or fragmented with like okay this is the self that I am with my parents and this is the Mm -hmm. self that I am with my boyfriend and this is the self I am with this group of friends and this is the self I am with this group of friends and this is the self I am with my coworkers, and this is the self I am online like I, I know we all, to a certain extent, like just as humans, we're kind of like chameleon, like sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's survival, right? Yeah. But there's an, but I think there's like a, there's a level to which I, I, I definitely could be more integrated and just more fully like myself. And I could, I'm learning to just see and feel that I belong to myself and be less afraid of that and more, more in love with that, you know? <laughs> hmm. Oh, I love that way of putting it, that you're like in love with it. Trying. Cause that you know? to me, that's different from like, you know, I am implementing these strategies to be yeah, more. Exactly. <laughs> I can just have fun with myself and be light and, um, follow my own impulses, you know, and mm-hmm. do those things that like, you would do with someone that you're falling in love with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there's always that cheesy thing people say about falling in love with themselves, but it's, I mean, it's real and yeah. it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and this is definitely the time of life that I think we're invited to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I have to say, too, as far as social media goes, I'm really enjoying your content in your stories. <laughs> and, like, the memes about puzzles and, like, what it's like at therapy versus inside your brain and how the puzzle pieces are either, like, coming together or not. I don't know. Well, I related to that. You know what's funny about that is that, like, so in my head, my comparing brain, I'm like, oh, Lauren posts such, like, good, substantive, socially conscious stuff. And, like, I should really... I should really post more about, you know, like political things or, you know, like social justice. And then I have to slow down and go like, yeah, you can do that too. And you can also <laughs> like take your time with learning about how to um, engage with all of that. And like, but it's just funny because, because my, I literally was like, oh, but Lauren like does such a good oh job. Of, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, thank you for saying that. But also, I definitely feel like I have gotten kind of calcified in that. Mm. And like, I wrote something the other day about like cutting these flowers in my old, um, I was living with some friends. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Months ago. Yeah. And I'm like, sometimes you just need to do something because it's fun. And like, not everything I share has to have a capital H higher capital P purpose. Um, because actually, I think there is a higher purpose. And just mm-hmm. like what you were saying, like, what am I doing all this for? And what do I want for other people? Yeah. And other people like to laugh at funny things online too. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. like other people also enjoy some of that lightness and, and some of that vulnerability and and especially the two together. I think like that's one of the beauties of the internet is when you see like a joke that's so funny, also kind of poignant in a way that makes you feel less alone with whatever like weird weirdly specific thing you didn't realize Mm -hmm. other people did you know yeah Um, so like that that in and of itself too is like a connector and it you know it can be an and it doesn't have to be an or yeah and I think it is the same thing right like if if justice is about love and love is about connection and like something funny is about connection that all matters like that's that's the whole point so I don't know keep it coming and I I will say (laughs) I also think like funny resonates like you were talking about your poetry professor and how he was really funny and light and that's I'm imagining that's a big part of why you really liked him yeah my favorite teachers that I remember were the ones who were funny and fun yeah Um, you can't just be like the super serious person all the time yeah I think I definitely like I'm trying to learn about grounding down but also lightening up you know yes both yeah so do you follow the resistance revival chorus at all no I don't oh my gosh okay so just to anyone out there this is like premium (laughs) content out there (laughs) um they um it's this group of women in New York City although um they put out tools to replicate it all over the place I it's like on my list to start one in Indiana but um after the 2016 election, they started getting together and learning um, old protest songs and spirituals together. Mm. And they show up now at different protests. They performed at a fundraiser that I um, helped organize for one of my clients back in May. And like now they do paid gigs at different events so that they can fund like showing up for different bigger um, like direct actions that are happening. Um, and their whole saying is a quote from a, actually a poem by a woman named, and I don't want to say her name incorrectly, but I think it's Toy Derricot. Oh, yeah. And it's joy is an act of resistance. Mm. I think that's so true. And that gets lost a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. I hope that 
like our conversation tonight serves that in yeah. some way. <laughs> oh, oh, I hope so too. And thank you so very, very much for yeah. um, offering and holding space for all of it and being such a good, thoughtful conversation partner. I just love talking with you. Oh, me too. Let's I was keep in doing good it. hands. <laughs> I also feel like I'm sitting here looking at my notes like, oh, I didn't ask like all these questions. I know. So I hope it didn't feel like I took up, you know, no. too much space on my end of things. No, that's always how I feel when I'm done, you know, <laughs> like, when I'm, I'm talking too much. Interview, like, <laughs> and also like, oh, there's so many other questions, you know, for another time. Well, I, guess that's, I guess that's good. It's not like we ran out of anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I never worried that we would run out of anything. I time. didn't either. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials Podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.